Hey, it's Jennifer Jones Lee. You're listening to KFI AM 640 Wake Up Call on demand on the iHeartRadio app. It's Monday, and it's time to rise and shine. Here's Jennifer Jones Lee with your morning wake up call. I need to start this Monday morning by going back to Friday morning and thanking the wake up call team, including my news director, Chris Little, who I had to call at four o'clock in the morning. I had, I don't know what I had, but I woke up with the chills. Like those like, oh my God, my body can't stop shaking chills. So I got in a bath, like a hot bath, hot as I could get it. I was in the bath for about an hour and a half. And that seemed to finally get those chills to subside. And then come the sweats. Oh yeah. Whatever it was, it was full blown. And then there's just this like lingering cough. And everybody keeps saying, well, it's something going around. I know, but when it hits you, it sucks. But I had to call him. And then Wayne, God bless him, had to fill in for me on wake-up call. Jason Middleton scrambled to get in here so that he could anchor. Michelle, poor thing, I was on the phone with her. Tyler, he's having to scramble to get everybody who's good to go. So uh, there wasn't one person who wasn't impacted by my chills on Friday. I just want to thank you guys, seriously. Because I couldn't have done the show. Or I would have, and you all would have been highly entertained by the going on in the background. Hope you had a great weekend. It is Monday, the 13th of March. Here's what's just ahead on your wake-up call. A bank with offices in Beverly Hills, El Segundo, Newport Beach, and Ontario has been closed by the New York Department of Financial Services to protect depositors. Another storm is on the way, headed to SoCal. One to three inches of rain this time around, and everything everywhere all at once took the top prize at the Oscars. 505, we'll talk with ABC's Karen Travers all about the president meeting with the prime ministers of the UK and Australia. But let's start with some of these stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. The New York Department of Financial Services has closed a bank with offices in Southern California just to protect depositors. ABC's Daria Albinger says Signature Bank is the second bank to close in less than a week. The bank had a number of wealthy depositors, including former President Donald Trump, whose daughter Ivanka was a member of the board of directors from 2011 to 2013. Signature was also named in a 2016 lawsuit involving an alleged Manhattan Ponzi scheme. The FDIC says Signature's depositors will have access to all of their money. The Federal Reserve says clients at Silicon Valley Bank will also have access to their money, not just the $250,000 that was insured by the FDIC. ABC's Andrew Dimbert says the bank was closed Friday when depositors began withdrawing their money, creating a run on that bank. Senator Bernie Sanders blames Silicon Valley Bank's collapse on successful Republican efforts in recent years to relax regulations on small and medium-sized banks. British officials worked throughout the weekend to find a buyer for the U.K. subsidiary of Silicon Valley Bank. They say the U.K. Treasury and the Bank of England have facilitated the sale of Silicon Valley Bank U.K. to HSBC. 
So we'll talk more about this as the morning goes on. And uh, I'm going to keep an eye on the markets for you this morning. Uh, The futures right now, the Dow is down 91. Uh, NASDAQ futures are up 75. So the market's not reacting in a big way at this moment. But we'll see what happens at the opening bell. President Biden's coming to California. He's going to meet with the prime ministers of the UK and Australia. We'll get into that with ABC's Karen Travers in just a minute. He's also planning a visit to Monterey Park to talk about his efforts to reduce gun violence. That, of course, is where all those people were shot and killed at a dance studio. Everything, everywhere, all at once took the top prize at the Oscars. The sci-fi film also took away six other trophies, including Oscars for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor. Brendan Fraser won for the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role. His film, The Whale, also won for Makeup and Hairstyling. I don't know if you have seen. I've not actually seen the movie, but I've seen clips of Brendan Fraser in that. Oh, my gosh. The way, the way that they made him, this heavyset guy, was incredible. All Quiet on the Western Front won for Best Music and Production Design. It was a night for comebacks. I'm Steve Gregory backstage at the 95th Annual Academy Awards. Never forget where you came from. Because uh, if you forget that, all humility goes out the window. That's Ki Hui Kwan, who won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Kwan was a child actor who starred in The Goonies and Indiana Jones. Then no one would hire him. There's Brendan Fraser, Best Actor winner for his role in The Whale. You put one foot in front of the other, go to the light. Believe me, if I can do it, you can too. After starring in a string of movies in the 80s and 90s, he left acting for personal reasons. At the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, Steve Gregory, KFI News. More Oscars coverage coming up at 5.50 this morning with ABC's Jason Nathanson. Karen Travers, good morning to you. The president's headed here to California. What's he expected to do today and who will he meet with? Yeah, he's meeting with the prime ministers of the United Kingdom and Australia, two very critical American allies. And he's traveling out uh, your way. No traffic for you guys, though, so I'm sure you're pretty excited (laughs) about that. But he'll be in San Diego for this meeting uh, talking about Australia purchasing U.S. manufactured nuclear powered attack submarines. We talked about this a year and a half ago. Remember the acronym AUKUS? This is the White House pointing a phrase, uh, the Australia, U.K., U.S. partner. Partnership, specifically around this uh, security issue and these nuclear-powered submarines. And remember, this was a big controversy back then because the Australian government had been in a deal with the French to buy their submarines. And then there was this secret deal with the United States to buy our submarines. And this is something that the United States had to mend fences with the French because they were not happy about this. But it's full steam ahead. And here we are now today. Uh, with this next stage of the announcement and the president will be sitting down together with all three of uh, the other two leaders. So all three of them together and then have a separate meeting with the British prime minister and the Australian prime minister. They're going to be talking about obviously China and uh, the concerns about China's uh, shows of strength in the region and what Australia can do to counter that the United States partnering with Australia uh, and as a means of, you know, showing that support there in the neighborhood. Uh, but also they'll be talking about Russia's war in Ukraine and the global economy and other big issues of mutual concern for these countries. You know, the one thing I'm glad you brought up China, because China's arguing that the AUKUS deal is a violation of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, saying that you can't have this one country giving uh, that's a, a nuclear weapon state 
giving nuclear weapons to a non-nuclear weapon state, that that's a blatant violation of the spirit of the pact. I assume mm-hmm. we don't see it that way, but what is our argument back to them then? Yeah, nuclear powered versus nuclear arms, nuclear weapons submarines. So they're saying that that's the significant difference, that these are nuclear powered attack submarines that the United States is making as opposed to ones with nuclear arms on them. Uh, but, you know, these are different than the conventional submarines that the French the Australians. So it does kind of kick it up a notch, and that does increase the potential tensions there. Uh, but, you know, I think the administration uh, has said that they feel that maybe China is just uh, making this an issue. They weren't surprised that this was becoming an issue. But uh, for the United States, this is a significant partnership, and that this is meant to send a very strong message to China that the United States has a strong ally in Australia, uh, meant to counter China's influence and strength in the region. All right, Karen, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. See you later. ABC's Karen Travers. We'll see how China reacts after we get more on this today. There's a new Gallup poll, and I'm interested. What do you think about this one? JJLKFI on Twitter. A new Gallup poll says people are split on the state of the COVID-19 pandemic. 51% of people surveyed say... It's not quite over. 49% say it is. 62% say they believe the situation with the virus in the U.S. is getting better. And a quarter of those polled say they worry about catching the virus. I have to admit, when I had the chills Friday morning, I thought immediately, because I've never had, well, I mean, I'm probably a novid. I didn't know that I had COVID, but I probably had it. But I've never had it that I know of. When I've tested, it's never come back positive. But I thought, oh my God, this must be it. But I didn't, my first thought was not, oh my God, I'm going to die. It was, oh no. I was at work yesterday. I was in that small little booth. Deborah comes in after me. Great. Did I pass it to her? Did I pass it to Tyler and Michelle, who I'm in contact with all the time? It became more of a, oh no, who did I give the flu to kind of feel in my brain? And I'm curious how you feel about it. Is it still as dire as it used to be? Is your first thought, oh my God, I have COVID, now what? Or is your first thought now more like, oh man, kind of the feel of like you had the flu and you gave it to your coworkers. I'm just curious uh, how you feel about this poll. Do you think it's over? Do you think it's getting better? Or do you still very much worry about getting the virus? JJLKFI on Twitter. The FDA has approved a new nasal spray to treat migraines. The drug made by Pfizer is the first and only migraine treatment of its kind to be offered in a spray. The drug maker says clinical trial data show it provides rapid pain relief in as fast as 15 minutes with relief lasting up to 48 hours. There was a standoff with this guy in Valinda that lasted almost two days. L.A. County Sheriff's deputies were called Friday afternoon to an area on Wing Lane about a person firing shots at pedestrians. Then the guy also fired on the deputies, and then he holed up inside a home. Deputies eventually tore holes in the roof to try and reach the guy. He was found dead inside. Apparently, he had killed himself. 
The search continues off the coast of San Diego for more people who were on two smuggling boats that flipped over in the water. A 911 caller said one boat had 15 people on it and the other had eight. At least eight deaths were confirmed over the weekend. When we arrived on scene, both vessels were, were capsized and inside the shoreline. That area is a, a very hazardous area, even in the daytime. San Diego lifeguard chief James Gartland calls it one of the worst maritime smuggling tragedies he can think of in California. Governor Newsom has proclaimed a state of emergency to support storm response and relief efforts in six more counties. He already had proclaimed a state of emergency in 34 counties throughout the state, including L.A. and San Bernardino. And everything everywhere all at once took the top prize at the Oscars. More on that with ABC's Jason Nathanson coming up at 550. Michael Cohen back in the news this morning and back on the stand. Aaron Katursky joins us now. I think when I read this last night, I went, that is still going on. The whole hush money thing is still going on. What's going on now? Seven years later, it's still going on because uh, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is considering whether to charge former President Trump over the way his company logged the payment to Stormy Daniels. You'll remember it was the closing days of the 2016 campaign, Jen. Uh, Stormy Daniels had said that she had an affair with Donald Trump. He wanted to keep that quiet, paid her $130,000 in, in hush money. And now the Manhattan VA's office has, uh, you know, off and on been looking at this, but now on the brink, it seems, of indicting Trump over the way he may have falsified business records and in, in making it look like a legal expense when, when, in truth, it was related to the election. So Michael Cohen, who went to prison over this, you'll remember, yeah. is, uh, is something of the star witness, and he's going to testify before the grand jury today. Now, I guess that it seems from a, I don't know, we do our taxes, we go to, you know, whatever, H&R Block, Jackson Hewitt, wherever you go. You sit down, and it's pretty easy. They can see what went where and, you know, who knows what. It feels like seven years is a really long time to get something in a ledger figured out. Well, they've been looking at it um, almost from the beginning, but the Manhattan DA's office uh, has you know, kind of ebbed and flowed in its investigation, and, and now it seems they're finally ready to bring a case related to this. Whether it's successful or not, you know, I think is an open question. There, it's not like there aren't hurdles, one of them being exactly what you say, like a jury being like, really, this? This is like me making a bad entry in a personal checkbook for an insignificant amount of money. Like, right. who cares? Um, but on the other hand, if you remember at the time when the payment was made, what its significance was or, or could have been had Stormy Daniels not talked public, you know, uh, not been quiet about her alleged affair, maybe it's a bigger deal. Michael Cohen's gone to prison for it. Uh, maybe it's still time for accountability because if you'll remember, uh, Jen, and I know this is going back, but when Cohen was charged, the, the charging document said he acted at, at the direction of individual one. And individual one, of course, is, is former President Trump. Okay, is Michael Cohen's testimony today, I guess, expected to be the smoking gun in the case that the Manhattan DA's office is looking for? Do they think he's going to say something that's going to nail Trump? No, look, I think that it's a paper case, right? This is right. not a, a, a complicated financial fraud. So it isn't like there is a smoking gun. But in Cohen, you have a human face that, you know, this is a guy who can say, this is how the payment was made. This is how it was logged. And, oh, by the way, I went to prison because I made it seem like a legal expense when, in fact, it was a campaign expense. And, and that, was a, that was a violation of federal law. But I didn't do it on my own. 
it was this guy who told me to do it. Uh, you know, and, and I think that could probably be a, a, a maybe the, the, the final piece that a grand jury would need to return an indictment. I mean, in some ways, it feels like I guess Cohen back on the stand is going to feel at least to my gut anyway. It feels like, all right, this is a guy who's got an axe to grind. He went to prison. Of course, he's going to want to get revenge or, you know, hey, I'm not the only one. I get it. Um, at the same time, it's it's just hard, I guess, to wrap our heads around this being such a big case based on the fact that it does feel like something a CPA should have noticed or, you know, figured out that would have been a very easy open and closed uh, open and closed case. It, 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 it may feel that way. And that is the danger, I think, of putting it in front of a jury. Yeah. Um, and of course, Trump faces, I guess, uh, maybe some more significant potential charges in Atlanta from the Fulton County VA over efforts to overturn the election from a special counsel appointed by Merrick Garland over classified materials and, and January 6th. Uh, but this case here in New York may just be the first out of the gate. And, and if he is charged, Trump would be the first former American president ever to be indicted. Yeah, well, and that's what's going to make Michael Cohen's testimony today so important and so watched or, you know, so covered. So I'm glad you're there, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. All right, see you later. ABC's Aaron Katursky. You know, sometimes, whether or not this case, whether former President Trump is actually charged remains to be seen. But just from the, uh, what do I want to say? gossip standpoint or the oh my gosh Michael Cohen's back on the stand that guy is so colorful when he speaks that you sort of can't help but watch and whether or not you believe the words that are coming out of his mouth that's up to you but it's still entertaining sometimes as heck for people like that to get on the stand especially when they have an axe to grind a Downey police officer has been hurt in a head-on collision between the patrol and SUV and a car. This crash happened early this morning at Lakewood Boulevard and Columbia Way. The officer was taken to the hospital. The Red Cross is trying to get more people to donate blood. So those who donate this month will get a $10 gift card. They'll also be entered for a chance to win a $3,000 prepaid Visa gift card. Former Vice President Pence has criticized former President Trump for his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. ABC's Rick Klein says the timing of Pence's speech Saturday has a whole lot to do with the 2024 elections. Pence knew exactly what he was doing when he said, and I quote, history will hold Donald Trump accountable for January 6th. President Trump was wrong, he said. His reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. It was a very strong message. Pence spoke to the annual Gridiron Club dinner at Washington, D.C., or in Washington, D.C. I want to say kudos to the lifeguard in Long Beach who saved a small dog that jumped into the ocean and started swimming, but out to sea. The fire department says the dog made it all the way out to the swim line yesterday before crews on a boat were able to help the lifeguard get the dog back on a rescue board and safely to shore. We're going to talk dogs in just a second, and I'll explain, but first. Who the hell thought we needed this in Southern California? Whose idea was this? They clearly don't know about my phobia. LA is getting its first ever bunny cafe. Tyler and Michelle know we are not going. It's going to be in Woodland Hills for a limited time, and this cafe is not like any normal coffee shop. It's a bunny cafe. 
where you can go in, enjoy a nice cup of coffee, food, and treats, all while hanging out with cute furry bunnies. So are you okay if uh, Tyler, Michelle, and I go without you? Hell yeah, you guys go all day long. Because this looks amazing. Oh, okay. I'm looking at it right now. That's the only reason why I say that. I'm not just like blowing smoke, so. All right, what's, what looks so amazing to you? Because all I see is bunnies who are shifty and could kill you. Right, wow. It's not, we're not talking like, you know, the mud bunnies from the, um, what do you call it? What's the movie where they like, oh, attack uh, you and eat um, you? Uh, um, oh my God, Monty Python. <laughs> Monty Python, there we go. Thank you. No, this is amazing. They're all like that, Nick. You, I, They just haven't shown <laughs> themselves to you. I hate oh, these damn come things. come on, Jen. It's two types of tickets. It's a one-hour ticket, costs 25 bucks. Two-hour ticket costs $44. So you're going to sit there with these furry little animals that are mm. shifty as heck, that may kill you, and you are going to pay for it. Of course I will, because, I mean, if we're going to go to Barbie, we might as well go see bunnies. So, But the Barbie is a story for another day. But, um, yeah, I think this looks amazing. It sounds This is something that's been culturally a part of a lot of uh, Asian cultures. Like, yeah. in Asia, you can go to a cat cafe. I'm deathly allergic, so I will never go there. Um, <laughs> but you can go to many other ones. I'm down for a bunny cafe, and especially we're coming up on Easter, so this is perfect. It's oh, also, yeah. Isn't it the Chinese year of the rabbit? There you yep, go. Yeah, see? it is, Tyler. Wow, Those tick marks. Thank I you, Tyler. I thought you were an animal lover. So right? I, you know what? I, I guess we've officially found the line in the sand. No, we? here's the thing. I will get animals adopted anywhere. Even bunnies? Even bunnies. Even bunnies deserve a good home. But get them at your own risk, people. I told you. I warned you. We're not going to the Bunny Cafe. It's okay. I'm going to put some of this video up. It's really cute on uh, right. Twitter. So uh, I will definitely be tagging at JJLKFI on uh, Twitter to make sure that everybody else can enjoy it. All right. Since Jen doesn't want it. God, no. All right. Let's say good morning now to Bob Bryant, co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. And I think probably a lot of us never even stop to think what happens to war dogs, those dogs that are used by the military overseas. But what happens to them after their service is done? That's where Bob and his group, Mission Canine Rescue, comes in. Bob, thank you so much for your time this morning. Jennifer, I am stoked to be on KFI 640. I'm a longtime listener, big fan. I'm actually out in Thousand Oaks, so I listen to you guys constantly. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, that is awesome, and I'm glad to have you on this morning. And I love what you guys are doing. I'm a former Army wife. I loved the, the role that I would hear that dogs played you know, when my husband was overseas. And uh, I just, I love what you guys are doing here because I don't think that we think a lot about what happens to those dogs. They're in service. They love it. You know, they love to have a mission and be part of it. But then what? After their service is over, what happens to them then? Well, there's an assumption that these working dogs are automatically being taken care of when they leave service. But that's not the case. A lot of them stay stuck in kennels, not just in the U.S., but overseas. And we really need to get them back. Uh, we need to honor these dogs that have given their lives for us. And we want to make sure that they come back and get the retirement that they deserve. I see that you guys have rescued. Mission Canine Rescue has served more than 1,100 dogs. How did you get a hold of them? How, do you, how does this work? The partnership, do you have a partnership with the military or, or what is, how does this work that you get the dogs in the first place? We have a very good relationship with many uh, parts of the military. Also, there are dogs that are owned by private contractors that we work with as well. Over 10 years, uh, contractors in the military know 
that when it's time for the dogs to retire, that we help get those dogs back to their former handlers. Uh, the military always does the right thing. They always take care of their dogs, but uh, sometimes they don't automatically put them on a plane. Uh, for instance, if a dog's coming home from Japan, uh, that's about a $6,000 flight for the dog, and the military's not always able to put them on rotator flights home, so the burden of the adoption expense is left upon the handler. And most corporals don't have an extra $6,000, so through our work the last 10 years, they've learned when the dog needs to come home, they call Mission K-9. So how then does it work from there? I, I would assume that you guys are, you know, working off the donations that you get. How do you guys have the money to get them home? And then what happens to that dog once they're here? We've been very fortunate through a large group of supporters, both on Facebook and through just direct email that they will fund our work when we need it. We do close to $2 million worth of work a year. And uh, out of a dollar that people will give, 92 cents actually gets to the dogs. We are literally nonprofit. Uh, how the dogs get here with the military dogs, we work with the kennel master in the military foreign operating base overseas. And we find out where the dog is to be dispositioned. Then we schedule a flight for that dog through whatever commercial airline. Now there's really only two that serve larger dogs like Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds. And then we schedule the dog to come in. Uh, for instance, this morning, two dogs are coming to Seattle from Korea. The military is actually putting them on a flight. We flying one handler to Seattle to meet his dog there today. They'll be pressed if anybody wants to search for that. And another dog is being taken to San Antonio uh, in one of our bands. So we do whatever it takes to get the dogs back to their handlers. Once you get these dogs home, and is there, is there a, I know this is going to sound silly, but I know for any soldier, there has to be sort of a, a decompression uh, time where they're not, they're no longer, you know, overseas. They're no longer in war. How do you sort of change the mindset of a dog that is so specifically trained? Well, with working dogs, especially Malinois and Shepherds, you really don't. Those dogs maintain their work drive their entire life. In fact, uh, we tell people that want to adopt them, uh, these dogs particularly that haven't had handlers, that they need to be around to stimulate that dog. You leave a very active uh, working Malinois at home, he'll eat your couch. <laughs> so with, it's true. I've seen five. I can show you photos of it. It's uh, kind of crazy what they can do. We work with love with any dog that has issues or, for instance, crate aggression, food aggression. We try to make these dogs ready to be just a dog again. They don't have to chase the bad guy. They don't have to find a bomb. They don't have to search for drugs. They can be just a pet and chase tennis balls. With some, it takes a week. With some, it can take a year. It just depends on what they've experienced during their service. All right. Again, how can people learn more about Mission Canine? And also, how can uh, people get involved? There might be people listening right now who are like, I am the perfect person to adopt one of those dogs if it can't be reunited with its handler. How can people find you? Okay, let's talk about adoption. Uh, if you'll go to our website, which is mission, the letter K, the number nine, the word rescue.org, missionk9rescue.org. Uh, there is a link on the menu for adoptions. Uh, the main thing we want from our adopters is that they have the ability to afford the cost of senior veterinary care. 
for our working dogs. Senior dogs will, will require more care. As far as finding out about us, our main, most current work you can find on Facebook under Mission K9. And if you'd like to donate to us, remembering that 92 cents out of every dollar goes to help dogs get home, get medical care, get anything they need to uh, be reintroduced into society, uh, that is missioncaninerescue.org. Bob, thank you so much for what you're doing. I, I just, you know, like I said, I heard great stories about how important the canines were to even just morale. I mean, I know that that's, you know, something that we don't even think of, but a dog just being part of a team sometimes, that that's a big deal. And uh, even if it's just that they weren't out there getting the bad guy, just the fact that they were part of a team, I know that meant a lot to the soldiers too. So thank you so much for what you guys are doing. Thank you. The dog makes a difference in the work. And I so much appreciate the chance to visit with your KFI audience. I hope you have a wonderful day. Oh my gosh, you too, Bob. Anytime you want to come on, you are welcome back. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bob Bryant is the co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. I love that story. Jason Nathanson, good morning to you. Do you have little toothpicks in your eyes this morning keeping you awake? That sounds painful. Well, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was trying to help. They don't have to be the ones with the sharp pointy ends. They could be the dulled ones. Is that a toothpick then or is that just a stick? <laughs> That's just wood. That's just chewing on wood. Yeah. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning. Everything, everywhere, all at once, winning big last night at the Oscars. It did. And, you know, I think that's really one of the only surprises is just how well that it did. I think we knew that it was going to. Um, but you can always have these uh, premonitions that things are going to do well. And then they might not. It might not pan out. But we, we thought it would. But no film has ever won Best Picture and three acting awards before. It's never happened. Um, so that was a first for that. Uh, of course, it won for Michelle Yeoh for Best Actress, Ki Hui Kwan for Best Supporting Actor, uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis for Best Supporting Actress. And then you had Brendan Fraser, who also won for The Whale, and all four of those actors really kind of sharing the same DNA in common in their careers in that they had been doing this for decades, some with more success than others, but really never feeling like they were given the roles that they deserved. And then when they finally got them, they won Oscars for them. That's and I'm so glad you brought that part up because I was thinking about that. You know, whether it was, you know, you remembered Kihei Kuo from uh, from the Goonies or whether it was Brendan Fraser from something that you remember him in the 90s or something like that. Then it was like these guys kind of disappeared. And then they came back and maybe not disappeared completely, but just didn't have memorable roles in anything, but were super strong actors. And it was nice to see them finally get their due, even if it was after decades in the business. Yeah, and for Ki Hui Kwan's... Uh, Thank you, I totally screwed that up. <laughs> no worries. Uh, for, for, for his part, um, you know, we remember him from The Goonies or from yeah. Indiana Jones. And then, you know, it's been well documented over the past, during the award season, um, that he just didn't work for decades. He couldn't find work. And not just, he backstage, he talked a little bit about those struggles. And it wasn't just decades ago. He's been struggling up until recently. God, it has been so crazy. All of a sudden, my mind is drifting back to, uh, to the days when I lost my health insurance. Uh, during the pandemic when I, I couldn't get a job. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, somebody asked me this earlier, do I have anything planned? What am I doing next? I don't know what I'm doing next. Uh, and, but I, all I know is the first thing tomorrow, I'm gonna call my agent. <laughs> <laughs>
and, and he talked about how for for years he would call his agent. He didn't want to bother. <laughs> he was so sweet. He didn't want to bother his agent. Aww. But for years he would call his agent every three or four months and go, "Do you have Do you have anything for me?" His agent would say, "Just sorry, there, there there's just nothing." Uh, so hopefully now. <laughs> The phone rings and and the agent has something for him because he just won an Oscar. Well, I think that yes, I think his agent will definitely have something for well, him. I, I will. I will say this, but but you, Rita Moreno talked about this a lot after she won her first Oscar, and that was back in the '60s. But um, she she couldn't find work afterwards. It, it, just winning an Oscar is not enough, uh, especially when you're a person of color in this town. So um, hopefully, we all want. We want to see the follow-up movie for Ki Hui Kwan. Right. Um, but it, just doing what he did doesn't guarantee that. So we'll see. All right. Uh, what are some of the things backstage that we miss like that? Like, those are the things that we want to know. Um, I, I could tell you, um, you've probably seen, or maybe you've seen, there's video of uh, a photographer falling on the red carpet. Yes, and Lady Gaga Lady to Gaga the rescue. Running, so I was right there when that happened. Um, but that was not the only fall. Minutes before that, uh, it was, I, I don't know if it was Kate Hudson's publicist, uh, but somebody I think associated with Kate Hudson also fell, just took a dive. And I've never seen... I've never seen one person fall on the red carpet before. Um, I, actually, at any red carpet, I don't think I've seen one person fall, uh, much less the Oscars. So to see two people fall was pretty crazy. Um, one also outfit that you might have seen on the red carpet um, or, or during the show, and you might have been wondering, who is that? What's going on? Uh, Thames, who co-wrote the song with Rihanna, Lift Me Up, that was nominated for oh, an yeah. Oscar. She was wearing this big white cloud puffy oh type yeah thing. yeah 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 and um the the only i i talked her on the carpet she talked about how it's supposed to represent a flower and her kind of coming out and blooming and blossoming and stuff like and you know very nice sweet story um but once she got inside the only thing i could think of when i saw her inside was i felt really sorry for the person behind her because they could not <laughs> see a thing she was completely blocking maybe two or three people behind her because the thing was so just big and billowy. That is so, you know what, that is so true. While on one hand, you know, you look at things and you're like, oh my gosh, that is great and that is art and whatever. You don't think about the actual, hey, that person has to sit somewhere around other people and that might suck for everybody else around them because they're going to get poked or can't see or whatever the case may be. Hopefully maybe there was a removable portion where she could be like, you know, I'm going to take this top piece off. Set yeah. it down or something? Yeah, no, no, no. We, we saw it during the actual show. Um, oh, she, no. She was sitting there and blocking the view of definitely two or three people behind Oh, her. that's great. That's yeah. great. Were there any moments where you were, like, poignant moments where you were backstage and you went, that person, in addition to the ones that we've talked about already, but that person, man, this meant the world to them. I mean, because I'm sure for some people... It's Hollywood. They, you know, they go through this every year. But was there somebody who just had that one moment where you thought, I, wow. I already gave you one with Ki Hui Kwan. Right. I, have to, I have to give you another? Yes. I, mean, only, I need two. There's only so many people. I mean, but him and Michelle Yeoh also and yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, oh, okay. All, all three of them. And Brendan Fraser. All the thing about the, the four of them and, and during this award season as well is sometimes you get people who are 
uh, a little bit actory about the whole thing, right? They get really deep and they get, uh, it's, uh, you know, about the the role was so great. Oh, and yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I just blah, really, blah. just the role changed me and, you know, okay, so that's fine. These four were were so appreciative of the moment, um, and what this what what this meant for them in their career, and they've been working so hard for, it, and they were so happy. Kiwi Kwan, when he came out into the room, uh, like bounded into the room. Oh, that's awesome! He, he's 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 jumping in and 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 so excited, and the the applause for them, um, you know, I I I, I try to I, I don't clap right when they come into the room. Um, backstage at, the, at any award show, we're journalists, right? We're not fans. You're not supposed to clap. We, we, I mean, we, and we might be fans of the people, but you know, we're not there to clap and cheer these people on. We're there to ask them questions, right? Um, but the, I, I don't know that I've ever heard the amount of applause. See, for, that's awesome for them. Um, that that we heard last night. Can we talk about Jenny the donkey? Uh, sure. I, 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 I miss most of that. I saw that there, the donkey was on stage from Banshees of Minna Sharon. Maybe from Banshees of Minna Sharon? Allegedly. I, I, I don't know. Can we do a DNA check to make sure? Right. I mean, I, I want to make sure. Donkey? Right. This isn't a donkey poser. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they could pass off any donkey. So I'm, Just tell us. This donkey was a star. We sure. don't know that. We and, don't, we and don't know that. Does that donkey have to be part of the union? Uh, I don't think the donkey has to be part of the union, no, but I think its handler probably has to be a part of the union. Tyler just said in my ear, what an ass. <laughs> yes, I would ask those kinds of questions. Okay, Jimmy Kimmel's performance as the host. What'd you think? Solid. I mean, you know what you're going to get from Kimmel, um, and he delivered uh, good jokes. Uh, the You know, he, he had said that he did not want to turn this into a roast. It was going to be a celebration. Although he did roast, you know, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. There, there, was, a, yeah. there was a Scientology joke in there. Um, there was, uh, James Cameron got hit a couple times, both of them not in the room though. So I don't know if he felt safer, you know, uh, making fun of them when they weren't there. Um, and of course he addressed the slap, um, made a couple jokes about that. They, he said that he was going to make some jokes and move on, but he actually made a few jokes throughout the night. Um, so it definitely was something that the, you know, that was a little bit of a focus, but you know, I, I think, I think Kimmel does a very solid job. He's dependable, which are not, you know, overwhelmingly high praise words, but he does, it's not an easy job to do. Yeah. Um, and I think he does it well and he does it very smoothly. I don't know that we're going to see, you know, blockbuster ratings, but that's not reflective of him. I don't think, I don't think the host really has a whole lot of control over that stuff anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting some, I don't know, after, after the slap, there's obviously, there wasn't going to be another slap, right? Right. But people were expecting some kind of chaotic moment or something, because that's all we talked about from last year's Oscars. Right. Uh, this one didn't have that aside from the poignant speeches, it just didn't have that one moment that I think everybody's talking about. And it's crazy now that we look at something like the Oscars, based on what happened last year, as almost like a NASCAR event. You know, you go, you you want the, the entertainment factor, sure, but you also are kind of looking for that crash. Like, you yeah. don't want anybody to be hurt, but you need to see that moment, and that's, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I thought, okay, what chaos is going to erupt this year? And it didn't happen, and I was almost bummed. I know yeah. that sucks. Well, that, that, I think that says a lot about your character, Jen. Well, you know, you've known me for a long time. Don't be surprised. That's Jason, true. thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, take care. See you Bye. later. It's KFI and KOST HD2, Los Angeles, Orange County.
We've got more wet weather on the way. I want to bring you uh, President Biden just for half a second here. Let's listen in. For California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and the team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. And here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will be, and I'm, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that, because of the actions that our regulators have already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Second, the management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. Third, investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. And fourth, there are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed on top of all of it. Let's also take a look at a moment to put the situation in a broader context. We've made strong economic progress in the past two years. We've created more than 12 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever created in a single four-year term. This is the president now talking about the collapse of we had two different banks that collapsed. First, it was Signature, and then you also had uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Everybody, though, is going to get access to their money, the president says. 
And this is not just the $250,000 that are insured by the FDIC, but you'll get all of your money. He talked about the people who had these banks should be fired. And we'll talk all more about this with Wayne in just a second. This has been your wake up call. I'm Jennifer Jones Lee. You've been listening to your wake up call with me, Jennifer Jones Lee. And you can always hear wake up call five to six a.m. Monday through Friday at KFI AM 640 and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. 